This is where it all begins. The famous and epic clash between good and evil, dark and light. The two twins, the older, hairier, more rudy, red-like, red-cheeked fellow named Esau and his humble and truthful younger twin, Jacob, Yaakov, and Asaph. And ever since these two brothers jostled for position in Rivka Imenu's womb, there has been this eternal battle between the forces, the cosmic forces of truth, Bnei Yaakov, and darkness, the dark side of the moon, and Asaph. But actually, before we even are introduced to the Yaakov and Esau saga, the whole story really begins with some labor pains and the tough pregnancy of Rivka Imenu, in which this week Parshas told us, tells us, how Rivka Imenu is reached a point of such discomfort from her pregnancy that she says, Why is all this worth it? Why is this happening to me? She can't tolerate what's going on inside of her belly. Now she explains to us on the words, that these, or at this point it's only told and only known to Rivka that it's just one child. Every time that Rivka walks past the houses of idolatry, idol worship, may we say casinos and bars and pubs, the baby is moving to exit. But then in a very schizophrenic manner, when Rivka walks past Base Medrash Govoa and Yeshivas Mir, the baby also wants out. The two-faced duplicitous nature of this baby is something that Rivka cannot tolerate. And like any good Jew, what do you do when you're unsure about the current situation and how to respond? You run to the lore, the local Orthodox rabbi, which in this case is Shame and Aver, the Yeshiva Shame Aver, the local Rosh Yeshiva, and she tells the Rosh Yeshiva about what seems to be the problem. And after she discusses with the great sage what's going on, the answer she receives is that Mazel Tov. It's not one baby, it's twins. There are two nations that are inside of your belly, two separate governments. One is stronger, one is weaker, but the weaker one will overpower and prove triumphant on top of the stronger one. And Rivka is calmed. The problem is assuaged. And I want to discuss a very famous question on this story. And it comes really by way of the great Brisker dynasty. The question actually comes based on this Gemara Mesechtanida that discusses the jostling of the children and how they wanted to exit at different times and different places that their mother walked. The question is actually asked by 
the Briskerov's son, Rabbi Yosef Doiv Salavechik, and the answer from the disciples of the great Vilnagon, that the Briskers and Rabbi Yosef Doiv Salavechik relay over as the answer to this problem. See, we know that the babies, all babies, all Jewish children, when they're in the womb, they have an angel that teaches them Torah. All of Torah. When the baby is born, it forgets all of Torah. But the certain exposure to this holy wisdom of Torah, it gives us a leg up and the ability to understand Torah while we're alive. If not, if we didn't have the angel, it seems like we would never be able to grasp this high-end Chochmas Hashem called the Torah. So Baruch Hashem for that angel. The university of angel womb, so to speak. But the, the question is, if this is true, and how does it seem to see eye to eye with the fact that Yaakov Avinu wanted to get out of the womb, to go to the holy places, to go learn, to go do Torah, to go be Isaac and Torah, it doesn't seem to make any sense. There's nowhere better to study Torah than from the mouth of an angel. So why would Yaakov Avinu even want to escape the belly of Rivka Imenu? To escape the college of angel womb? So the answer, the first answer given... It's one that I never merited to understand, but it basically describes that even if you do have a great chavrusa like an angel, but if the guy sitting next to you, a.k.a. Esau in the womb, is rather smelly and a wretched, nefarious Russia who's distracting and ruining everything, well, to be in the mere proxy and chutzer of Esau, even if I'm with an angel, the whole thing, isn't worth it to me. I don't like it. An interesting answer. Thought about it. I don't know. Of course it is true, but it seems one has to be on a certain level to understand it. I guess maybe not. Maybe if one does really have a smelly chavrusa next to him, that it would make one want to move seats. But the second answer is what I want to focus on. The second answer comes by way of a messiah that we have, that the Vilna Gon's Talmidim said that the Vilna Gon actually was offered visitations from angels to teach him Torah. And the Vilna Gon, it's well known, denied. Said, no, I'm not interested in the University of Angel Torah Study. He didn't want it. Because he told us and stamped for all of the future Jewish generations Torah legacies that Torah acquired without Amelus, without toiling, without effort, without the sweat of the brow. Said the Vilnagon isn't even worth anything to me. It's not machshavit. Doesn't see it as significant. Not interested in this offer of learning with an angel. I want to push myself. I want to gather my strength to go further on in Tyra, working for it, to be Isaac by Tyra. And this is what Yaakov Avinu wanted. 
University of Angel Womb is the same university of being spoot-fed Torah. It comes easy. Yadiyah satire from an angel. Yaakov didn't want that. He wanted the real thing. He wanted to get out and start working for it. He wanted to be Omal Batayra. And perhaps you've heard this idea. By this point, several hundred years after the Vilna Gon, it's kind of become part of our Jewish jargon. You've probably heard your local Orthodox rabbi say Omelos Batayra rather frequently and probably by the time of Parshas Bechu Kosai is when this idea seems to come up. But the idea of Amelus Batora, I'd like to discuss one critical perspective that I received this week and share with you. Now we begin because the Chavetz Chaim writes something really fascinating and I say it for the shame, Oilam. A Muslim work, a Shkafa work, a popular work. And the Chavetz Chaim puts down there and declares that all inventions, all new things that come to the world are a lesson from HaKadosh Baruch Even something he says, like the invention of the telephone, of the radio, these new technology advances, these leaps forward, they're there. Hashem has now revealed this Chachma to somebody to bring it forth. And there's something that we should be learning from this invention. And he actually tells us what the lessons are. He says, the video camera, the camera, it's a lesson that is part and parcel of our Jewish faith that was slipping away. The idea that you can be watched and not know it. The idea that everything that you do is seen by HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The idea that somebody can record something and review it later on was slipping away from Jewish faith. And this is given to us as a matana. The video camera is a gift from Hashem so that we can refresh ourselves that God is watching and that He will watch my life in 4K, 1080p HD after I pass on. And he continues about the radio and audio. And I was thinking, in following in the Chavetz Chaim's path, which after all is very much the hopes of all of us, hopefully our plans, what are we to make of the internet? Artificial intelligence. What lesson can we learn there? An internet, a couple years old already, but I was thinking that maybe, basically, the internet is one big information hub. Anything you do, all the cookies you accept, all the settings, all the data, it's all stored. Everything remembered. Have you ever wondered why they're advertising basketballs on the side of your screen? It's probably because you were checking up some basketball scores. Everything you do, no matter how many times you may erase the history or re-wipe the computer... It's all data, it's all stored, it's all numbers, it's all letters, it's all put down somewhere forever. Tracked, graphed, data. And analyzed, probably sold. But that's besides the point. And that's very much seems to be the idea of where 
tracked. Our lives have meaning, and everything we do is nichtovim b'sefer hazichronos, written in the book of remembrances and artificial intelligence. When we had our discussion with Rabbi Gladstein, the great Magid Shir, the great Rav of New York, we discussed what he thought the idea behind artificial intelligence was. And he said, very, very eloquently, very, very passionately, that we may be off base in one area of this Osik Batora that we're talking about type of idea. See, we have such a reboy hatayra. There is so much Torah study at the current moment. Who doesn't have some weekly, at least daily Torah study, sheer chabura that they go to? Who doesn't learn dafyomi? Who doesn't learn mishnayis? How many tens of thousands of people are osig in Torah, yomam Valila, day and night? The riboya Torah is unparalleled, unrivaled, unprecedented. But what about the, are we able to say the same thing? Is it commensurate with the level of fear of heaven? Is the Torah being digested and changing changing us as people? It's hard to make a general rule, but it definitely seems like there may be some of a discrepancy of a lot of Torah. But perhaps we aren't being offered to learn with angels like the Vilna Perhaps that was the lesson he said of artificial intelligence. If it's just about more Torah and more amassing of Chachma, more amassing of knowledge, well then, the amassing of knowledge is always going to be your accomplishments will pair in comparison with what a computer can compute, organize, inform, study, and then output. Artificial intelligence will write a better chabura, amass more knowledge, give better chidushim than a human mind. It can process thousands, if not millions of things in seconds. So just the acquisition of wisdom, that can't just be it. But osik batayra. What the Almighty wants is that when we go to these shiurim, when we study Torah, we're osik. Osik means we are toiling, but it's According to my Misora, I was educated from my Rosh Hashiva, that Osik means more along the lines of it's made real. It's made like a job. It's made like a rock-hard, knock-on-wood lifestyle. The Torah isn't just a subject. That when one closes his math book, he doesn't ask himself, what do I do now to change my life? But when one closes his Gemara, he should ask himself, have I learned a new halacha? Can I act in a different way? Nachmanides, a thousand years ago, already told us that every time you close a safer, you should ask yourself, what does it mean to me and how can I change my life and be better, do more, connect in a greater way? Osik Torah, it sounds Yaakov wanted to get out of the womb because to just acquire Chachma. It's not even in the same ballpark as waking up, fighting for the learning, making it real, making it a lifestyle, becoming one with it, becoming a family with the Tyra, getting cozy with the Tyra, sweating over the Tyra, being osake in Torah. Yaakov was chalishing. He was famished. He was starving. 
to be able to begin this brilliant and glorious endeavor. I have to say, not a controversial story. It shouldn't be a controversial story. I remember I was standing outside Thursday evening, a couple months ago, talking to an old friend who had just come back from Eretz Yisrael, fresh off the boat, as they say, a budding superstar. It was late at night. The conversation was flowing. We were catching up, and we got into this conversation about artificial intelligence, back when it was really a popular thing to discuss, and what the lesson is. And I threw out this idea. The idea that if it's just about amassing wisdom, well, computers will always do that better. But rather, Taylor has to be about making it real and making it a lifestyle and working for it in a very authentic way. And he said, you know what? I was just somewhere in Eretz so I'm going to hold back some of the names. There was a great Rav who was giving a speech. And he was talking how some people were going for brachos, for blessings from people that are have amassed a lot of Torah, but maybe in a way aren't top five in their Yerushamayim. And he was talking about the point of brachos, which is something interesting to ponder, basically also on this week as well, with the blessings and the nature of what blessings do, G'dayl and brachos. But the Rav said that you guys don't get it. The reason that we make G'daylim into G'daylim and we're mach of them and we view them as significant heroes is not just because they know a lot of Torah, but it's because what the Chachma means to them. It's because of how hard they worked for it and how much dedication they showed on behalf of Hashem's holy Torah and how it affected them in such a powerful way. That's why they are called a Gadol Hadar. And he proceeded to mention one of the famous Gadolim and say, that Gadol, I knew him, and I knew him even when he was a Gadol, and he is, I'm not even going to say the word, but he's S-T-U-P-I-D. I can't even say it. He is that. But that's why he's a Gadol. Because he worked Harder and continues to work harder than anybody else on this planet. And when he learns the halacha, it becomes cast iron strong in his life. It creates boundaries. His fear of heaven is top notch. He stays up till the middle of the night because he can't fall asleep because he doesn't understand why Rashi and Tosfos are arguing. That's why he's the Gadol. The Gadol Adar. He said, if you really want to get a bracha, from someone who knows Tyra, then go get a bracha from artificial intelligence. Go get a bracha from the internet. He knows more Tyra. Yaakov wanted out because he wanted to make that relationship between him and Torah one that was real, one that was packed with a la'asok, but amelos, amelos by Tyra. It's the very key to everything. When one struggles three hours, let's just say even for a half hour, to understand one piece of Tyra. Contemporary wisdom will say that, you know, he didn't get very far. The guy next to him, who's the smart one, learned already two pages of Gemara. 
This guy only learned a half hour. He barely, uh, he didn't do anything. He can't get very far. It's, no. I reckon that the guy who was Omal, who worked harder, the guy who put in the time, the guy who put in the effort, has accomplished leagues, legions more. Because it's about Amelus Batayra and the relationship that one has to Hashem's Holy Torah. And not just about another shear, another learning session. I, I learned this many pages. But rather, this is how many hours I spent pushing myself to understand Hashem's Torah. That's what we should ask. This is our key. This is what Yaakov wanted. This is where everything begins. If you go in Hashem's ways, it all begins with real Torah study. I want to end by saying this is something that is really in our power to do. Often we talk about ideas that are dreams of ours, perhaps ideas that are even steps above us. But we daydream. But this it doesn't take brains. It doesn't take knowledge. It doesn't take skill. It just takes effort. When you put in the effort, you follow in Yako's ways, and you automatically start to die until it becomes real to you. And eventually it becomes very pleasant. So, like they say that the dream is free, but the hustle is sold separately. So if we take anything from this week's parasha, it should be that get me out of the spoon-fed university of angel Torah, or angel womb, I believe is what we said. And get me into the study hall. Let me work for it. Let me make it real. Let me get cozy with the Gemara. Let me get comfortable and cozy and befriend. Mishnayos. Let me give Rava and Abaye a hug. Let me learn Chumash. Let me learn Nach. Let me learn whatever it is, but I just want to be Omal. I just want to be Osik in Torah study. Because that's where it all begins. This is something we all can do. That's what Yaakov Avinu taught us. Right? At the very beginning, even before he was born, when the whole Yaakov and Esav saga began. So grab your books. Start your engines. Start learning in a very real way. And like this, Shem should see our efforts. Bless us with beautiful, enjoyable Torah study. Obizocha, to fulfill Hashem's word and keeping his mitzvos and learning his Torah all the days of our lives. Kill on the boy, 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 k